And so, Lord, thank you for the gift of your precious word. Thanks for the series we've been in, in Genesis, Lord, and the blessing it's been to so many. And so now come, bless Peter as he comes to share now with us, I pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated, church. We are really blessed to have our founding pastor um, coming to share God's word 30 years ago, planned the church with his wife, Marie, and uh, such a blessing to us as a church, to me personally. And so would you make Peter feel really, really welcome as he comes to share with us. Thanks, Dave, and uh, thanks, church. Lovely to be with you all this morning. And uh, those that are online too, welcome. Terrific to have you sharing with us. This is the first time, actually, I have preached in um, many months because, as some of you will know, I've been away on... uh, I had seven weeks long service leave and um, many people have been asking how it all went, so I thought I'd get it all done in one hit this morning. I'm just going to let you all know and then you won't have to ask me ever again. There we go. So this is how it was. It was as close as you can get to the perfect holiday you could ever have on planet Earth. That's how good it was, folks. I've got to tell you that. Yeah, no, no, listen, no, listen, no, no. Yeah, no be, I've got to let you know how good it was. I don't want to just say those words. You might be disbelieving me in some way. This is the evidence. Two weeks at Caloundra, which is very close to heaven. You know that there's Brisbane, there's heaven, and then there's Caloundra nestled in between. Did you know that? It's true, yeah. Our first holiday as empty nesters after 32 years. It was like a second honeymoon. Guys, I've got to tell you that. It was beautiful. We were COVID-free the whole time. Hallelujah. All our little plans and projects worked out well, including our new garden bed. Have a look at this. This was our new garden bed off to the side. We were busy on that. And, and we don't have a pool, so there was no acid water went on there. As we heard from our senior pastor last week, praise God, God was looking after that little plant, uh, garden of ours. The online services were terrific, aren't they terrific? Onlineers, they really are brilliant. Yes, I know. And let's, this, is, this is the last piece, but just amazing. This is incredible. Like, this is miraculous, really. But um, over the seven weeks, the Broncos won six and rested on the seventh with a bye. I was football depression free the whole time. How, how amazing is that? Like, how, how, how could that happen? Miraculous. Although, um, by the looks of the Broncos' form at the moment, I may need to take some more long service leave, Mr. Senior Pastor. For the sake of the Broncos, we're going to have another holiday. Now, I'm not wanting to incite anyone to jealousy here this morning, um, but you know as I do that a seven-week stretch without any problems is pretty rare in life. Isn't that true? Yeah. As I look out this morning on on everyone here, um, you all seem to be looking pretty good. I don't know about you onlineers. Sometimes you can have bad hair, don't it? It doesn't matter if you're watching online. I do know that. But here, all the hair's in place. Looks good. Terrific. Yeah. But you all know, for folks here and the onlineers as well, um, we know we're all facing lots of problems in this world. We all are. There'll be a lot here today. There will. Um, on the home front, difficulties, workplaces that are stressed and strained, some concerned about their living arrangements at the moment because there's a lot of difficulties in the rental area at the moment. Um, maybe a pressing financial situation that you've got hanging over your head, you came to church and that's there. A health concern, we've heard of some of these even as Nathan's been praying this morning. The list could go on. Problems, they fill our world and they fill our lives. Which raises another one of those really big questions, because that's what we've been doing in this Genesis series. We've been looking at the big questions of life. You know, where did our world come from? And 
And, and is humanity unique in some way or other? Or are we just, you know, another one of the animals that are on, running around on planet Earth? What's my purpose in life? What am, I, what am I here for? Well, today's big question is this one. What in the earth is wrong with our world? That's a big question and a lot of people ask that question. What's wrong with this place? We face this question in our own lives, the problems that we've got. We glance around the world and we see it. We see wars that are you know, causing famine in parts of the world. COVID ramp, running rampant and other things that are in the health front. People groups being ex- oppressed and exploited. The list can just go, you know, it just go on and on and on. Now what we are going to read in the first six verses of Genesis chapter 3 is going to provide a Christian view as to what is wrong with our world and what's the core at the core of every problem you and I have ever experienced. So are you ready? Here's the answer. It's coming right now. Genesis 3. Let me read it to you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the, from the trees in the garden, the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The Bible's explanation of what is wrong with our problem-filled world is very, very simple, in fact. One word. It's sin, folks. It's sin. Sin, of course, is one of the most ignored, despised, condemned, sneered at words in our Western culture. Isn't that true? You've been noticing that? No one talks about sin anywhere. The account we have just read is, in fact, ridiculed by many, many people, considered to be um, totally irrelevant to our world. The secular world and the progressive liberal world of theological thought, they hold to an understanding of humanity's problems as stemming from the circumstances, just the circumstances of people's lives. People are born good. They're good. And so if we can just right some of the injustices and, and educate everyone to be good world citizens, then we'll achieve this social utopia on planet Earth. Did you know that social media began with that sort of understanding, with those sort of ideals, in fact? They thought that as everyone's connected up to one another through the internet, it would would aid our social cohesion. This is where they were coming from and improve the quality of our dialogue with each other. That's what they were planning and believing for with social media. What we find now, and you'll be very aware of this, is that great sways of of our news bulletins are actually built on the feuds and the frictions created by what this person put on this platform, this, they, what they said on Twitter or what they said on um, um, social pages. 
There's something far more fundamentally wrong with humanity than just a bad start to life or, or some unfortunate circumstances or some wrong done. Because, think about this, people from stable, loving homes with good education who appear wonderfully together and very successful still find themselves in divorces, being caught up in addictions, bullying colleagues, abusing power, telling lies, and the list could go on and on and on. The Bible has a very different diagnosis concerning the ills and the problems of this world, folks. Yeah. And as we examine this, this Genesis text more closely, you'll actually notice how much it, it actually depicts life, how our world operates, how, how we think. And it provides a much more satisfying explanation about what's wrong with us and what's wrong with our world then all we need to do is be better educated or, or maybe re-educated about how to be kinder to one another. So where did sin begin? Where does it begin in our own lives? Let's make it more personal if we can say it that way. It always starts with questions about the character of God and what he has said. We see in our text here that Satan, the great adversary of God and all that God has made, and that's a topic that we have addressed actually in previous, previous series in this church here. Satan disguises himself as a snake and he opened a theological discussion with Eve. The first woman made by God, living with her husband, the first man made by God, in God's perfect world where there was no sin. And Satan opens his, his dialogue with these words, did God really say? Now, as you hear that, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds a pretty simple and straightforward opening to a question. Satan's wanting to, you know, check up with Eve about something that God had said. But it's actually a question that is loaded with innuendo and insinuation. It's seen in the very term that Satan uses to address God here. Just hang in for a moment here, get this. You'll notice that our author Moses, in verse 1 of our text that we read today, uses the term, the Lord God, the Lord's in capitals, in referring to God. It's an Old Testament personal name for God, Yahweh Elohim. You see it in Genesis 3.1. Let me read it. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. If you look back into chapter 2, you'll see this term um, used for God again and again. It's a, it's a description of God as being a covenantal God, one who was in, in a loving relationship with people. But when Satan opens his dialogue with Eve, he doesn't use this term for God. He just uses Elohim alone, the generic term for God. It's so subtle, you see. But Satan starts this very conversation by moving Eve away from thinking about her loving relationship with God to thinking as God as a more distant God, the creator God, the God that's up there reigning in the heavens and the earth. If we were wanting to grasp this sort of nuance in our referencing of God... 
You'll often notice in conversations, especially with people when they perceive that God has let them down in some way, that you will rarely hear this term, my father God failed me. You'll hear rather, God failed me, God did this or God didn't do this. It's God, 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 not a father God. It's interesting to to see how Eve replied. What term would she use? What term would she use? Well, we see it in verse 3. No personal relational term, Yahweh Elohim here. But she goes with Satan's more distant term of just Elohim alone. Sin, sin, you see, it so often begins with with the notion that that God, if there is one, I suppose if you even get to that point, he's distant. He's not interested in us as human beings or he doesn't really care about us or he doesn't really want the best for you. And he can't be dependent upon to provide for you. Rather, you know, rather he's up there in heaven, you know, the creator, the distant God with all his mighty power and he's unresponsive to my needs and the needs of this world. How often do you hear people say, well, if God's there, why doesn't he do something about all the problems in the world? That's the sort of thing that we're talking about here. The undermining of God's character, it begins with Satan's very address of God. And then he starts, he starts moving Eve to a place where, where she begins to ask a lot of questions about what God has said. Here we are. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now this question here, it's not an outright denial of God's word, but Satan is seeding the idea that God's word is subject to what we think. Now get this thought clear in your brains, important in your minds. The question here is couched in in two of the devil's favourite tools to lead us into the place of sin, negativity on one hand and exaggeration on the other. Listen to what the Lord God had actually said as it's recorded in Genesis 2, the previous chapter, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. There was only one tree, one tree, that God had instructed Adam and Eve not to eat from. All all the rest of the garden, it was all available for them. Our God He is full of generosity all the time. He's providing all that Adam and Eve need from a garden that is just absolutely brimming full of good things. But here is Satan insinuating in his question that there is something suspect about God's love and care. And it's fascinating to see how Eve responds. Listen to this. We may, this is what she said in reply, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now her reply is pretty close to what God said, but notice the fine changes that that she made in her reply. There was no freely eat here. The freely's, it's gone. It's disappeared. It's just eat. There's this diminution of of God's goodness. She then adds to God's um, 
warning about not eating from the, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil by saying, God said you can't even touch it. An exaggeration here. An, ad- an addition which emphasises how strict God is, how tough he is. And then she weakened the sureness of the outcome of disobedience by removing the word certainly from the penalty for such disobedience. Can you see the subtlety of this dialogue as it goes along? As Eve moves from the place of loving submission to God, a good and generous heavenly father, to beginning to make modifications, yeah, about what God has said. Modifications which are always about undermining the goodness of God's character. Now, does any of this sound familiar to you, folks? This is our world. Suspicion about God. It can be that in our own lives. One of the biblical commentators, Westerman, wrote this. Just hear this. A command that is questioned is not the original command. Think about that. Now, when Satan saw Eve beginning to tinker with God's word, then he knew that Eve was ready for a full-blown lie. And we see it in verse 4. He says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. It was a direct and complete contradiction to what God had said in chapter 2 and verse 17 that we just read earlier, that disobedience would certainly result in death. This is a lie, this lie here, it's one that has been peddled throughout the history of the world. And it's as loud in this generation as it's always been. It's such a loud lie. A pronouncement of sure death for sin. What a furphy from a, you know, an antiquated era of that our sophisticated Western world has left far, far behind us now. But Genesis chapter 3 makes crystal clear that this very popular motion, notion that I've just mentioned, it's not true, folks. It's not true. Sin, not trusting in God, ignoring his word, doing what contravenes his word, brings nothing less than death. The Apostle Paul said exactly the same in Romans 6, 23. What did he say? The wages of sin is what? It's death. It's death. And if you're still wondering about this, well, let me refer you to some words of Jesus himself. Jesus, full of mercy and kindness. Are you ready? Matthew 13. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Because God loves us this morning, he wants everyone here, everyone online, 
to know the truth that the consequences of sin, they are devastating, folks. For all of us, they are devastating. It leads to physical death and it leads to spiritual death. So we get the outright lie from from Satan about where Eve's disobedience would end. And then finally he gives Eve a, a... a reason to justify her disobedience here. Listen, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Look, the subtleties here, they just keep going on and on in the conversation. Satan the liar. God's holding out on you, Eve. That's what's going on here. He's holding out on you. What sort of God's like that? More evidence in the satanic narrative that God doesn't have your best interests at heart. It's it's true, um, as we've heard in this series, that we, as human beings, are supposed to be like God. That's true. We've been made in his image be made in his image and meant to reflect him in our world. That's true. But Satan, the seducer, the one who promises the shortcuts to all that God intends for humanity, he says, grasp hold of this, Eve. Grasp hold of it. Grasp hold of your divine destiny here. You take hold of that. Make yourself God of your own life. Determine your own agenda. You you decide what's best for your life. and, And throw off any restraint, any restriction that hinders you from becoming your authentic self, if we want to put it in very modern terms. Our earthly journeys, they are riddled. They're riddled with satanically inspired questions about God's love and trustworthiness and suggestions about what we should do about it. God's not relevant. So just do your own thing. God's a rule-making killjoy. So go make your own fun. God won't provide what you need. Go get it for yourself. You followed God and look what happened. Make sure you protect yourself. Don't go there again. Don't get caught up in that again. You deserve more than you're getting. You deserve more. You deserve more recognition, more freedom, more respect, more knowledge more experiences, more life. And you need to do whatever it takes to get it. Sin is the denial of the goodness and the love of God as our Father and it's the choice to make ourselves the captain of our souls. That's what sin is. And so as Eve listened to Satan, a created being, rather than her creator and loving Lord and followed what she felt was the right thing rather than what God had said. And when she decided that she would hold, you know, seize hold of her destiny rather than trusting in God's destiny for her, we read these words. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And so sin entered the world and became the default setting of every human heart. And we and our world have reaped the selfishness, the the disharmony, the chaos, the ruin and the death that God said it would bring. Now, I know that next Sunday's sermon is focused on the consequences of sin and what God's solution is, but I just couldn't leave it there this morning, folks. I just couldn't. I, I didn't want to land here and just stay here. Oh, too, we'd be so depressed all week long, wouldn't we now, without hearing something on the other hand. And so I want to briefly reflect about what our most loving God has done for we who are sinners, and no one avoids this, folks. We're all sinners. But listen to just a little bit of what he's done. And I'm, I'm going to frame it in a story today or, or share it with you in a story. It's one that I've, I've, I've taken from the stories that Carl and Jane Faye record in their anthology, Faith Runs Deep. You know, Carl, who was here recently. It's a terrific book, actually. But this is one of the stories, and it's about Dave Jensen, who um, is the son of... Peter Jensen, and some of you may know of Peter Jensen, he was Archbishop, Anglican Archbishop in Sydney for quite a lengthy period of time. Great man of God. And so we pick up the story of his son when he's become a captain in the Australian Army. And from Dave's own assessments about his life, he's described like this. Dave entered the Army as a scrawny, an unfocused young man from a Christian background who couldn't get up before 11am. A year later, the army's good for people. Yeah. He was a heavily muscled brawler, getting into fights in the pub every single week, chasing women even though he was a married father, bad-mouthing everyone around him and looking down on civilians because he was army. When on deployment in East Timor, he learned that his wife was moving back to Ireland with the kids. She had had enough. He said this, there was a part of me that was actually excited that things had ended. I could go home now and do whatever I wanted. Whenever I want, however I want, with whomever I want, and not have to lie to anyone, I just can be me. That's a definition of sin, folks. I don't know if you heard that. Just there's theological truths woven all through this story. Now, I hope you haven't jumped to the conclusion that, you know, Dave's someone that doesn't believe in God and, um, um, you know, that doesn't believe in things about Jesus. Listen to this. There's never been a day in my life when I didn't believe in the existence of God or the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he said. The issue for me wasn't truth. It was relevance. I didn't care whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. I didn't want to follow Jesus. I wanted to follow me. I wanted to be king, not him. You hearing sin? You hearing sin? When you live for yourself, it can often seem initially liberating. Did you know that? It often starts off, oh, throw off all those things. I can become the authentic me at long last. Yeah. It 
It doesn't end that way, folks. It doesn't. For many, it seemed like Dave Jensen had it all together. The world admires this. The world thinks becoming the authentic, he was terrific. He was actually admired in the army. He, he's living out every macho dream that you could possibly think of. But the world thinks, wow, that's a man. That's a man. Yeah. But the reality was, as the years ticked by, he had in fact become, and this was his, his definition for it, because I've never had these two words put together, brutally unhappy, brut- brutally unhappy. Listen to how he described his life when he was reigning as king. It's very, very insightful, in fact. Listen to this. I liken it to drinking salt water. It looks like water. It feels like water. But no matter how much you drink of it, it's not giving you life. It's doing the opposite. It's killing you. It's killing you. Here's a 21st century man affirming what God said in Genesis 3. Sin leads to death. There it is. And that's where we landed this morning. A sobering place indeed. But let me give you a taste of what's coming next week. Are you ready? This is some living water now. Not the salt water, folks. The living water. Yeah. They've then told how how in this brutally unhappy place that he found himself in, he decided to reach out to an army army chaplain who had built a bit of a relationship with when he was, you know, some of his deployments overseas. And, And when he asked him what he needed to do, this was part of the chaplain's reply. Dave, your sin, he called it for what it was, your sin has not disqualified you from God's kingdom It's qualified you for his grace. Don't you love that? What a great opening. Yeah. Jesus died for you. Not because you're perfect, but because you're not. You're not. But you cannot know God until you understand that Jesus has died for you. He's risen from the dead and you need to ask for forgiveness and understand that Jesus is your only hope. He's relevant, all right, folks. He's relevant to every single person. He's our only hope, not you. You need to take that crown off your own head and put it on the head of Jesus. How's that? How's that? Well, this is what happened. After putting D on the phone, Dave said, I leant on the side of my bed and I cried out to God to forgive me. I felt intense shame and and regret as I considered everything that I'd done, the way that I'd treated God. I felt intense despair as I cried out to God, realising how pathetic I was. I actually fell asleep in my tears. The next morning, there wasn't a shining light or an angel in my room, but I knew God had forgiven me. I felt him. I felt loved. Did you hear that? I felt loved. I felt that God had seen everything and forgiven me. I felt that I had a father in heaven. And then, listen to this, that he loved me in the same love my father had shown me in life. You hear that some of, some here this morning, some watching online, you got some prodigals. Do you hear that? You hang in there. You love, you love, you love. But more, he wrote, that I was saved. 
As I stood up the next morning, covered in my own tears and still in my clothes, I went to the mirror and I said, I'm a Christian. (laughs) I'm a Christian. Wow. Sin, sin is the biggest problem of all our lives, folks. It's the big, big problem. And there is only one answer, there is only one solution, and his name is Jesus Christ. Yeah. The sinless son of God. The second Adam. The one who freely gave his life on the cross for us, bearing the burden of our sin, your sin, my sin, Dave's sin. He bore that for us. So that we could be forgiven and restored to the loving fellowship of our Heavenly Father. That's what our Heavenly Father did for us. He sent Jesus for us. That's how great is his love towards us. I was wondering how we should finish this morning. But then I remembered today that the first Sunday of the month, we we normally share in communion. I remembered that. So we're going to do that now. But I want you to note something interesting today. I want you to note some words that are in today's text. Following the invitation from the tempter to eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, it says, Eve did what? She took some and what? Ate it. Did you hear that? She took some and ate it. That's what it says in Genesis. And so did her husband. So, so simple, this act of sin. But so devastating in its, its, its consequences. Now this morning I want to remind you of another invitation. Another one. One that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was speaking about his death that would come resurrection. And he said, take this and eat it. Do you hear that? Take this in here. My body, given for you. Just a, such a, a simple act that we share in this morning. But at what cost, folks? At what cost? At what cost? Incredible cost. Jesus bearing the shame of our sin on the cross. Enduring the brutality of the crucifixion so we would just get a small glimpse of how difficult this was, this undertaking of Jesus to bring us back into relationship with God, the pouring out of his precious blood so that we could take this bread and we could drink this cup this morning and know that everything that was needed to accomplish our salvation has been completed by Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about this. The words the devil used to entice us into sin, take and eat, have now become the words which proclaim our very salvation. Wow. Yeah. Our forgiveness. Our freedom from sin's power and our victory over death through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this morning I want to invite you in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, to come and take the bread and take the cup and to eat and to drink. It's going to be served by the pastors this morning.
They're going to be dotted around the auditorium. And they'll have baskets. And you'll be able to get your little you know, cup and wafer, as we've been doing. But, but I wanted to do it different. I wanted you to come and take a, a faith expression on your part this morning. Part of your worship, that you would come this morning and take an air. In receiving this bread and this cup today, you're saying, I'm trusting in Jesus to save me from my sins. That's what you're saying. Some of us have been doing this for a very long time because we've known for a very long time that we are sinners who need the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray for those who've been doing it for a long time that this will be so precious to you this morning. I really pray it will be. No routine ritual here for us. This is the body of Jesus Christ and all that he endured for you and for me, I pray. Your heart will be moved afresh by the greatness of what Jesus has done for you. But there may be some here this morning and you have never shared in communion before. You never understood that you're a sinner who needed saving. There could be some here this morning, some are watching online. Or maybe, or maybe you have taken and eaten before. But you did it because you thought, well, that's what you, that's what you do in church in that sense. You know, it's one of those church things. But this morning you have realized that you are actually still in your sin. That you're still running your own life. Well, this morning, if you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, asking God to forgive you for turning away from him and let him wash you clean in his precious blood, well, I invite you to do this. I invite you before you come out that you will pray and say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me for running my own life, me running my life. I make you king of my life. Forgive me. Forgive me. And then come and take and eat and take the cup and drink knowing that everything's been dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything dealt with. Everything. Because if you ask him to do that, he will. Did you know that? He's done that and he keeps doing it. He's so trustworthy, our loving Father, the one who sent the Son. As we cry out, forgiveness will flow. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done for us. You who appears for our transgression, crush for our iniquities. The punishment that you endured the wounds that were inflicted upon you so that we could be healed, Lord. We could be healed. Thank you for coming and finding us, Lord. Lord, if there's any here this morning that don't know the wonder of relationship with you, a loving Father, Lord, may it be this morning that they enter into the kingdom of love and life. The one that means that death is defeated. Praise God. True liberation that's found in Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. Oh, Lord, may you move our hearts afresh and anew as we eat and drink this morning, we pray. Great thankfulness, Lord, you would see that among us as a people of God. I pray here, Lord. Nothing small and slight, Lord, in our gratitude this morning. We pray we'll be filled with thankfulness, Lord, for all you've done for us. We pray this in the most beautiful name in the heavens and the earth, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Amen. The band's going to lead us in a beautiful song. Um, I just ask you to take the time to meditate and reflect this morning as this service closes. Um, there's no need to rush anything. This is meant to be a time. Just to rest in Jesus, be thankful, be filled by His Holy Spirit. Give Him all your heart's thanks and praise for what He's done for you. So I invite the pastors just to come and stand around the church at the moment. Just take a little capsule and take it back. Meditate more. Reflect more. And then we're going to eat in just a moment's time and drink together. So I invite you to do that now. Come. Let's take. Let's come forward and take. And we'll eat and we'll drink. In gratitude to our loving Saviour. Let's do that now. These are beautiful words the team are going to sing to us too. Yeah. This is communion, your body broken, the cup we're drinking is bittersweet, the gift of friendship to a salvation, born of your Jesus was betrayed. 
took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Come, let's take and eat this morning. It's overwhelming gratitude for what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. This is true life, folks. This is true life. The life that God intended for us to be in loving fellowship and relationship with Him through the giving of Jesus' precious body. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks. And He offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Our forgiveness, folks. Our forgiveness, our forgiveness. Come, let's drink together. Oh, Lord Jesus, our hearts are so full this morning. Full of your love, Lord, and just gratitude all that you did for us on that cross, Lord Jesus Christ. Sent by the Father, came in obedience, endured untold suffering. So that we could come here this morning, Lord, knowing that our sins are forgiven, that death has been defeated. Praise God. To take and eat and drink. Because, Lord, you've put all things right. You've made all things right. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the hope that's now ours, Lord, because of all that you've done, the Lord Jesus. And we're just so thankful. We're so thankful. Come, church. Let's stand. Sing a chorus, just a chorus of praise and gratitude to our God. He's mighty, folks. He's our living hope. He is. He's made all things new for us. Come, let's honour Him as we conclude our service this morning. Our living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the one who set me free.
wonderful Saviour, amazing King. If you're here this morning and you came and received communion for the first time uh, and you knew um, that as you came, it was an expression saying, Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to come to you. I want to surrender my life to you. We have these Bible gift packs here down the front and we'd love to give this to you as a gift. It's a Bible in it, some information to help you. And most importantly, we just want to connect with you to help you on your journey. If you came with someone, let them know, hey, I want to know more. Um, God was speaking to me this morning. We'd love to do that. Our prayer team will be down the front here as well. Our prayer lounge. If God was speaking to you in some other way and you just want to receive some prayer or share with someone, we'd love to do that as well. And so I'm going to pray a blessing. I do want to pray too for our team heading off to Midden Baptist Church tonight. Um, Scott and Emily McLeod and um, some of our interns are heading over there. We want to pray for that church. Bless them tonight as well. So let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we thank you. It's so good to be together this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you have come to overcome sin, to make a way for us to be reconciled back to our Heavenly Father, that we might know true life in you. For any, Lord, for the first time this morning, are just saying yes to you. Bless them, Lord. Fill them with that peace and joy in knowing that this is the path to life, Lord, through you, Jesus. I want to pray for the team heading to Minden tonight as well and your blessing over Minden Baptist Church. Lord, bless them, we pray. Be with that team as they head out. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of being part of your family, your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, do feel free to come down the front if you want prayer. If you're online, we'd love to pray for you as well. You can email through to prayeratbridgeman.org.au or reach out to your host, Chris, there. Our Connections Lounge as well. But God bless. Look forward to sharing with you again soon.